It's a podcast. Hey, Marcus. Hey, Petey. How you doing, bud? We're back. It feels like it's been a little while, but not too long. Definitely not as long as uh, the stretch between the last few episodes. Yeah, uh, back by no demand. Just the demand that we put on each other to finish out this this burden, this cross that we've chosen to carry. D- would you agree with that assessment? Absolutely, but we're getting there, man. We're on episode nine. Uh, and also, I didn't even realize this because of the way we've randomly sequenced them, um, but th- this is probably the most direct link we've had between the show and the movie, because today we're talking about 1994's Ernest Goes to School and the episode of Hey Vern, It's Ernest, uh, Hey Vern, It's School. Like the easiest pair up that I had in doing this. (laughs) Yes. I think that this feels a lot less cynical than some of the other movies we've done so far. Well, yeah, because we went all the way to the end. We went to hell and back, my friend. (laughs) Yeah. It it feels nice that this was not as much of a uh, gut punch as some of the uh, the other ones and i could actually learn to uh enjoy Ernest again after after this one and uh whatever the last one was we did and what uh, was the last one we did oh slam dunk <laughs> Ernest. that's slam dunk Ernest. Yeah. yes uh this one is also basically just another sports movie one um yeah yeah kind of but uh, i there's something i have to say about the movie up front which we will obviously get into after the episode but It was refreshing in a lot of ways, because not only was it super short and seemed to kind of fly by, but it had a kind of different vibe than all of the other ones, because this is the only one of the series directed by our boy Coke Sams instead of John Cherry. He he was kind of more of a a side presence. Like, John Cherry was very much a a front and center, like, I'm the director. He He would speak for, like, the series to interviews in particular. But Coke Sam's wasn't as much featured in interviews that I found over the years. Like, him taking up the director's role was uh, uh, kind of an interesting surprise for me when I I started the movie. Do you know why he took over the chair? I don't think there was some big reason or anything like that. I think it was just like... Coke kind of wanted to direct, so John Cherry was like, fucking take it, man. I've just done like six of these things in a row. <laughs> like, but John Cherry was still producing it and stuff like that and still had a hand in it. But, he was um, not booted out by any stretch. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, they had been working together forever, had a good partnership and stuff. Uh, Coke Sam's had, you know, just about as much to do with the Ernest character and where the series went uh, as John Cherry did. He was there in a producer and writer's role throughout all of it, uh, even going back to the creation of the character, I believe. Um, so yeah, he just kind of got his chance to like direct a movie. He co-wrote it, uh, with whatever the fuck that guy's name. I don't really care. He's Existo. Bruce Arnston. Yeah. He co-wrote it with Existo. Uh, and Existo is featured in, uh, Ernest Goes to School. The sports announcer. Sports announcer that works for the school and he uses his Existo voice. And do you, do we want to talk about right now? Let's tease it. We're considering... Yeah, let's tease it. Because obviously we we set this up. This is going to be a 13-episode miniseries. We have 13 episodes of his kids' show. And while there aren't 13 movies, there's like 10 movies. And then there's some odds and ends and things that we can plug in. Um, But there is an Existo movie that I believe was written and directed uh, by the guy that plays Existo um, in the late 90s. Uh, and it was something like I've seen on IMDb. I thought it would be obscure and probably couldn't find it. Turns out it's on YouTube. Uh, that might be a little bonus up if we feel like, uh, you know, wetting our whistles with uh, some earnest uh, adjacent things one more time. And I kind of feel 
given like the poster and like the little bit I've read about it, I feel like it's going to be a really weird, obscure, off the wall movie, kind of like Dr. Otto. So I'm kind of on board to give it a shot. I've decided just now without your consent uh, that this should be a by demand only episode. (laughs) Well, by demand by who? If you want one more episode of this and you want us to cover this strange comedy sci-fi musical existed that was directed the forbidden by, movie <laughs> yes directed also by coke sams and was written and starring bruce arnston and has a a, a tangential relationship with uh the oh i i didn't realize coke sams directed that as well i thought uh bruce like wrote and directed if coke sams directed it, i'm absolutely on board because i would like to see another directorial effort from coke sams yeah and jim varney and garrett sartain are in it like it's uh it seems like it's it's right up our alley but i want one person to contact us on either of our sites to tell us to do exist yeah, or you social just media say, do exist anything yes like e- even the other earnest shows that might end up listening to this episode give us a little push that's all we ask because i don't think i've had any actual interaction with fans of this show i know we have some listeners i, I know you're out there i see you but the closest I've had is that there's a random person that's like mutual friends through Facebook that sent me a message and a friend request. And they were just like, I just had to reach out to you and send you a friend request because I love your earnest profile picture, which is what I have on Facebook <laughs> currently. And I was just like, oh, hey, I happen to run an earnest show and stuff. And we might have gained a new listener from that, but did not know that beforehand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I I think this will be a, a fan request only proposition. What do you think about that? I, I can create some fake Twitter accounts, man. Like, we, we'll, we'll make this happen. If the fan is Marcus, that's fine. I am very much a fan of myself and you, Peter, uh, and the show. Yeah, so, so uh, Marcus, I'm a fan of you. Let me just talk you up a little bit. You run a website called crush celluloid that i'm a fan of you also have a podcast appropriately called crush celluloid and you also have another podcast called jean pod van damme they're all great i'm really uh, proud to work with you buddy oh well thanks bud uh yeah and uh shout outs that uh crush celluloid a podcast that has been on hiatus for uh, at least a year now. Uh, Jean Pod Van Damme. There's too much earnest to work on. Yeah, uh, Jean Pod Van Damme. Uh, I just recorded an episode recently with our friend Zach Santucci from uh, our, our uh, Facebook groups, um, which should come out soon. Uh, yeah, the, the, I appreciate that, uh, Mr. Peter. Uh, G. Moran, uh, who is, of course, known for uh, co-hosting the podcast We Love to Watch uh, with our good friend Aaron Armstrong, uh, as well as several side projects and shows that that are in various stages of development, Uh, currently working on a uh, podcast about the Star Trek films, which we discussed a little bit before we got on air, that I'm very excited about. We're calling it Star Trek. (laughs) You guys with your wit. (laughs) <laughs> we just can't overcommit ourselves enough to new projects. And I'm sure that by the end of the Star Trek series, I'm not going to be entirely exhausted with the idea of it. But yes, we're doing uh, all the Star Trek movies. Well, they change enough, like for every, you know, some odd movies, they change enough to where I think it'll keep your interest. It's not like doing 10 fucking earnest movies. <laughs> 
Yeah, I think I th- yeah yeah who would do that? But uh, and we're assigning certain movies to certain episodes, so we will also be covering certain episodes of the show. And uh, yeah, the the first episodes are coming out in November and December, which is really exciting for uh, for us. And yeah, give us a listen over on the We Love to Watch feed, Marcus. Yes, Peter. That's that, that's, that's enough. That's enough. That's, a, that's, a, that's enough blowing blow smoke up each other's hoo ha's. Yeah. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's get into uh Yeah, that's what I was going for. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, let's get into some earnest. So, the episode in question today, um, as if this was a legal briefing, uh, is, is Hey Vern, it's school. This is all school related in one sense, but also. Very little of it is actually about school. It's usually just events that happen to take place at a school. Obviously, we have gotten burned the fuck out on this show. It, it has become a chore. It's the thing that we, we least like talking about and least look forward to in doing this show is watching the episode. I will say for today's episode, it went by really quick. I really didn't have too much of a problem with it. There were a couple of the same uh, things that come up, but overall, like, that eh, didn't bother me that much. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think uh, we're going to have a lot to talk about with how the movie's core device works, but the... Uh, the episode itself was mostly just a series of fun skits, and the fun skits were fun. That's how fun skits work. I think last week, maybe, I sounded pretty negative on the show, and I'm still negative about the show. I think last week's episode, I, I, I said I hated the show. I think I can move after this week's episode. I think I can move it up to just a, a dislike of the show. Well, and I, I want to tell you why I think that is, Peter, and I think it's because... So the way the show works, there's usually a setup, kind of a through line, like an A to B story that involves Ernest. And then in between, there's a bunch of sketches of the characters we've come to known and love and or despise. Um, But usually, or at least the past few episodes, it seems like there is just the thinnest uh, of of string between like the story from point A to point B and even what the episode is supposed to be about. And it's just kind of overloaded with these, you know, 10 to 15 second sketches to where it just, it, it overloads your brain. It becomes a a trial to get through here. I feel like the actual story, the point A to point B and the actual school related bits and skits involving like the main characters are much more even with the random skits that pop in so it doesn't seem as overwhelming like uh, i don't feel like i wrote that many different like a lot of the usual people show up but it, there aren't so many and they don't cut back and forth so often to where it's it feels like an overload um the baby wasn't here this week yes it was it was mm-hmm. oh god i just blocked it out my <laughs> no. brain is protecting me it's repressing <laughs> memories yeah no there's literally i have two notes like that it's just like ah earnest baby and ah Tonguey. But they were very, very short skits. And again, there were good bits around them and good skits around them to where it, it didn't bring it down as much. Yeah. I uh, I have a question to ask about a recurring bit. Mm-hmm. Is Earl the Barber supposed to have like early onset dementia because he is consulting a broom about its hair care regimen? Well, yeah, because he's just like it has it has so many split ends. <laughs> I, and I will say I even though that joke is isn't funny but you know he does like cut a broom with a pair of scissors i was at least like oh that's a fresh little bit at the beginning of this very played out bit where they use the same footage week in and week out and the same jokes week in and week out it it turns it turns out if you shove a bunch of people in a room 
and you make them do the same bit over and over and over again, eventually one of their one of their brains is going to snap and they're going to start coming up with new things to do, new variations on the formula. And I really appreciated that this week before completely just tuning my brain out for the rest of the Earl the Barber bit and just being like, I can't, I can't do it. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. I was just like, at least there's that fresh little bit at the beginning. And even though it wasn't that funny, I appreciate it. And I was like, they're trying a little bit, but then of course the rest of the bit goes exactly how it's gone every single other time. And my next note after that was that I was already checking the time six minutes into the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the story in this episode is that Ernest wants a, a relatomatic, super fancy watch thing that he sees in a magazine. It does all sorts of things. It, it has lasers. It, it hooks up to your plumbing. It does anything. You, you It'll make love to your to wife. It will make love to your wife, which you're obviously lacking on. Yeah. Um, if you're if you're that in, engrossed in a watch, um, <laughs> but Ernest is just like I, you know what I have to do? I have to, I have to I have to hunker down. I have to do better in school. I have to pass every test, do everything in school this week uh, to get this watch. Uh, so it's kind of like how you would think how parents give incentives to their children. They're like, hey, get straight A's. Hey, do great this week. Maybe I'll take you out for ice cream or I'll get you that new video game you've been wanting so bad. Um, but here's the thing: is that I guess Ernest is just uh, in school, and he's a 40-something-year-old man. Um, and the thing is that he's going to buy himself this watch if he does well in school this week. <laughs> he's a good boy. We need to besmirch Ernest's honor. He's a good boy. He's trying to earn himself a watch. I, I get what he's doing, but he he's earning it for him. Like He could just decide to just buy a watch and blow off class all week and be fine. <laughs> But no, he's setting up incentives for himself for him to spend his own money to get his own watch. One of the first uh, little jokes that I actually quite liked in this, so Ernest is like, I have to do good in all my classes. Uh, we cut back to him and he has like a, a dry erase board where he lists his classes. So there's like science, math, whatever. And a very cute little joke is that he has gym class, but he spells it J-I-M. Gym. Like, you know, <laughs> little Jim Varney there doing, doing his, his shtick. I thought that was nice. I think a criticism of the, the the public education system in this country. Well, I mean, yeah, because it's it's terrible. It's the kind of thing to where a forty something year old immortal being uh, can still be in junior high all these years. Leave <laughs> when no he obviously has Jim Varney left to, behind. Yeah, leave no Jim Varney left behind. But obviously, he has the means to take care of himself. He's paying his rent. He's eating food. He has the money to buy this watch. But he's just incentivizing himself to finally get past the seventh grade all these years later. Did you know that the slinky wiener dog from Toy Story can only read at a second grade reading level because of the public school system? Oh, I thought that was because of a second grade owner that transfers his consciousness to him and acts out his life for him. You know, you can make excuses for the dog, <laughs> but it's not going to help the dog get uh, get up in the world any faster. And yes, maybe the dog's consciousness is bound to Andy's, but... Because Andy never got past a second grade reading level, even when we get into his, his college years. <laughs> There's a joke that everyone loves in Toy Story 3, I think it is, that's like... His, his neighbor, his shitty neighbor, now he's a garbage man. That's some fucking elitist bullshit. Like, the joke is not that his, the neighbor has has a 
nice working class job with good benefits and works for the city and he happens to be handling garbage yeah yeah no 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 because again yeah that's actually a very good job to have but it's just yeah. we, we look down our noses at that because like ah, oh, look at that fucking kid that lived a shitty existence had a bad home life and so he lashed out in ways that maybe weren't the healthiest but it's all he had oh uh, we hope he, he maybe grows up to be a better person and gets ahead in life and gets past the, the things that brought him down in his youth Ah, look at the fucking garbage kid over there. That's pretty much what they're saying. Yeah. It's his comeuppance for, for again, having a shitty home life, uh, you know, lashing out in terrible ways, but it's a product of his environment. And maybe he yeah. can move past that and become better. And maybe, you know, we run into him in Toy Story 3 and it's just like, oh, he's working down at the bank. But the, like that him and Andy have become friends since then. And just like he, he, he turned himself around. Now he's a fucking garbage bum. If this country valued the working class the way that they should both in terms of of cultural appreciation as well as monetary appreciation that wouldn't even be that wouldn't even be viewed as as a as a punishment for it, it's a shorthand it's a bullshit shorthand cuz again this guy's working for the for the state he has state benefits he gets paid better than you or I probably do. Yeah, he, he has to deal with garbage. He's got a fucking pension. He's got a fucking pension. He's got benefits. He's taking care of his family, and he's making good money. Yeah, he, he maybe stinks a little bit when he gets home. Yeah, he deals with other people's trash. But you know what? Maybe he did turn himself around, because he's smarter than you or I. Yeah, I'm a team Sid. Yeah, team Sid. Yeah, Andy, uh, you know, Hashtag Sid... fuck Andy. <laughs> <laughs> So anyways, uh, so there's dance fever and they're in a school and it's, it's, it's like a virus. The kids are, the kids are bopping, they're juking, they're jiving, they're bouncing all around. I found it, it very funny. It's a downright outbreak. <laughs> Maybe again, because it's Stockholm syndrome that the show is just like, like, Hey, tell me you're thankful for that. That slice of bread. And I'm like, Oh my God, this is the best bread I've ever had. It's something new. Cause that's the yeah. thing. When that first started at first, you see yeah. a kid like sick in his bed at home being like, I don't think I can go to school today, mom. And so she calls the doctor and then he kind of starts dancing a little bit. And I thought it was almost like a, like a, she can't see him thing or like a Ferris Bueller kind of thing. Just like, I'm taking the day off, but no, he's just like uncontrollably dancing. It's like, what? Yeah, no. Yeah, he is. What? dance fever <laughs> um and that's like kind of a new bit that runs throughout the show and it's completely new from anything we've seen so that's like a breath of fresh air even if it's not <laughs> the best thing it's at least funny because you get to see uh teenagers dancing bopping around and there's one of the kids uh puts his face right up to the camera and dances a little bit like woo, which I think for most people just remind them of the YouTube generation. What it remind me of is all that weird footage that we have of like Studio 67. Is that the one from New York where everyone's just doing cocaine all the time? Uh, Studio 54? There we go. Studio 54. Uh, Numbers are hard. Um, (laughs) Which is why you need this episode, Peter. You you need a double dose of school. But it it reminds me of Studio 54 segments where the uh, they just like have a new segment like what's the deal with all these crazy new disco clubs popping up in uh in urban cities and then there'd just be like someone on coke just like up on the camera with big bug eyes and just like yeah we're having a great time and not stop dancing the whole time that's what it reminded me of 
Oh, nice. Well, I'm sure all these children were fed cocaine in order to get them to dance for the show. I mean, that's the only way that you can get children to dance, right? Uh, so, so what's some other through bits we have in this episode? We, we have a, a good bit of Chuck and Bobby in this episode. Um, They're cheaters. Well, well Chuck they, is. They also are in junior high with Ernest. They're wearing kid clothes, but not like junior high kid clothes, like... Dennis the Menace style clothes. Um, but yeah, no, they, they're cheaters. Uh, they, they're writing their own sick notes. Uh, they're coming up with excuses of why they're late to class. Uh, and they're in their 50s. The fact that so much of the, the cast that we know apparently never even passed grade school is... Uh goes on from being kind of cute and funny at first to being uh, grimly depressing uh, pretty quickly. Well, yeah, because it's not Ernest being kid hero. It's not the, them, like, dealing with children. It's like, oh, no, they're on the literally the same level. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, what was lead poisoning like in this county? Like, were the rates, Ooh. like, 70%? Do you think that's what it was? There was just too much lead in the paint and too much asbestos <laughs> in the walls? And <laughs> yeah. these three dudes just, like, caught the bat into the stick? Yeah, unleaded paint, um, unleaded gasoline, unleaded water. Oh, that's what it was. They were like childhood mm. best friends. They yeah. ate a couple, few too many uh, paint chips. It's probably huffed a little gasoline back back in the alley, and you know, in the in the, the sewer drains, and just never. And Bo- never got we know past. we know Bobby was a real gasoline huffer. I mean, the guy barely talks. Yeah, he does, and it, uh, yeah, it shows. I've known those types of guys. I've seen Love Liza. I know what's up. (laughs) (laughs) There's one thing that really made me laugh, and this is, this is a a question I've had about the show and Ernest as a character from the beginning. Does Ernest have more appeal to a Southern audience? Uh, yeah. They're Tennesseans. Ernest has a very, like, Southern sense of humor. We've talked specifically about, like, how Ernest would be on a lot of... I mean, it was he was the Ernest character was national in terms of uh, the advertisements, but a lot of it spread throughout the South at first. I have an uncle who, like, loves Ernest. Oh. Well, why, why isn't he doing this show with me? Hmm... Great question. Because <laughs> I'm down with the whole Moran clan, but when I get the guy that loves Ernest on the show with the other guy that loves Ernest to do an Ernest show. Yeah, it'd be great if the concept of the show was entirely different this far into the show. Um, yeah, do we? Do you want to maybe talk off mic about this? Uh, yeah, with your uncle. Do you know how, how badly the one time we had a guest went? Well, yeah, because it was fucking Aaron. Yeah, he... Turned me off to having guests for the rest of this show. Well, I think that was his intention because, again, he's very bitter about the fact that we have this working relationship together and that we have this close friendship and that we were sharing something that obviously what was so, you know, joyous and obviously so much better and funnier and more interesting than what he was able to bring to the table. So he tried to sabotage the whole thing by ruining the whole guest. He came in wanting to hurt us. But we only got stronger, um, and he only looked like a complete asshole. Um, so he goofed. He yeah, goofed. He, he goofed big time. Yeah. So we haven't had guests since then. He kind of ruined it, but he doesn't have to ruin it forever, baby. Like, let, yeah. let's get Uncle Moran in here, ta- talking about his earnest experiences. <laughs> Well, at least slip his number my way. Maybe I can do a different show with him. And something. I'm, just, I'm interested in him as a person now. Yeah. Someone less negative than me is what you're looking for, right? Uh, you're, 
you're America's golden boy. You're the least <laughs> negative person I know. <laughs> if I want to do a show with Mr. Negative, I'd call up Aaron, okay? <laughs> That's why we let's watch works, is because you get the negative, the positive, and it all balances out to zero, baby. Moving on from that. The reason I point this out is because the Bill and Koo show made me be like for a few seconds like should the show have leaned harder into being a southern thing because it's clearly doing a bit of a hee-haw thing like let's and actually throw... a decent song more or less like yeah kind of goofy but like actually a decently placed song is it about someone stealing uh your pencil or your eraser no it's the uh, first the, day of you, school? you lost your pencil the first day of school oh i read theft into that i i left i read malice I read. Well, because you're a cynical, negative Nancy. (laughs) I was the golden voice seconds ago. Now I'm a negative Nancy. Which one is it, Marcus? Well, I mean, it it changes moment to moment. Yeah, you're a flip-flopper. You're You're a jangular. You're you're the John Kerry of this podcast. All I'm saying is one minute you you were happy face Petey McGee. And the next moment you're like, someone stole my fucking pencil. Who did it? (laughs) ISIS? Okay. Okay. Come on. Why do you got to bring ISIS into this? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm projecting. I'm projecting. When I was in second or third grade, my mom gave me a box of pencils that were customized with my name on it. (laughs) Fucking little rich boy over here. She knew I didn't like school. She was trying to figure out some way to make me like school. (laughs) Just let me look at my own name all day. That'll do it. (laughs) It's the only thing that matters to me is myself. Yeah, she's like, you're a budding Patrick Bateman. Uh, why don't you get a little little bit of solace during your work day? I, I have no idea why this happened, but when you said Patrick Bateman, which did register in my head, I heard Jason Patrick. <laughs> like, I'm a budding Jason Patrick. Uh, let's, let's do a little Googling, see if I'm a budding Jason Patrick. You wish you had locks like that. I have, I have very low self-esteem and I'm hotter than Jason Patrick. 5'10"? He's, he's the average height of a man um, even i'm taller than jason patrick <laughs> yeah i hope i hope he speed two cruise controls out of my life right now <laughs> click tab gone that's probably sadly that's probably going to be the best joke of the episode <laughs> <laughs> oh we can stop now then that's fine um but my point is i got i got customized pencils my mom i hated school i my mom thought that i'm still pushing off ever going to grad school it's never gonna happen i wait wait at uh, elementary school level she she was already throwing grad school out of the window no she was or wait or did she get you these pencils with your name on them to get you interested in cool uh, school while you were in college so i'm saying i've always hated school and i continue to hate it wait so Um, when you were in your 20s and you're in grad school your mother got you specialized pencils with your little perfect name on them to to make you interested (laughs) no this was in i was in first or second grade that's what i I asked and you said no grad school no, I, grade school. Oh. Sorry. Great school. Great school. <laughs> no, I have not been to grad school. The point is that I will never go because the, the I hated school so much. Do you want me to retell the story from the top? Yeah, why not? <laughs> so, I was in first or second grade and my mom got me a box of pencils because I hated school and she thought it would be nice to give me something to encourage me to maybe get excited about school, something. Then, 
all my pencils. I just, I, I worked through them, just working through the school year. Then maybe next year, like the first week of school, I'm out of these pencils. I'm back to using these like, these like, you know, standard yellow, like number two the, pencils. The pencils like, you know, that are the, exactly the same, but they do not have your name on them. Yeah. They're what, what the riffraff use, you know? Um, not Peter Gabriel Moran. Yeah, the the hoi polloi, you know, the commoners, what they what they're using, the peasants. All of a sudden, one day, scrolling up the aisle between the desks, sort of strutting my walk. You can tell by the way I use my walk. I'm a pencil man, no time to talk. And I notice that a little guy named John O'Leary uh, is showing off a little bit more style in his pencil than I'm used to. Um, he can sue me for libel. I don't give a shit. This really happened. And I, I said, that pencil looks familiar. Is that my pencil? And he looks me in the eye. He says, no, it's my pencil. Goes back to writing whatever bullshit he was writing. Probably terrible. I look down. I just pluck the pencil. It's got my fucking name on it. Because <laughs> he's an asshole. He's Dennis <laughs> O'Leary's you... son. <laughs> Why would he not, like... Scratch the name off or something like, but scratch off the serial number. Oh like hide your crime. <laughs> okay, so here's your whole deal. You were far too self-obsessed as a first grader, yeah. um, to where this ruined your entire school experience. You should have, man. Public schools, man. That's where it was at. Public schools in South Alabama. Uh, you know what got me into it? Football pencils. I didn't even like football. I didn't even watch football or give a shit about football. But they had these mm -hmm. pencils that you could buy in the school store where it had different teams on it and shit. And people collect them and have their favorite teams or whatever. And mine was just like, I like this logo. But that's got us into it. And it wasn't about us. It, 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 it wasn't about just being self-important and thinking, oh, I'm Peter Gabriel Moran. And my name on a pencil makes it a better pencil. It's just like, no, these, these sports heroes that like we will never aspire to be or make as much money as uh, are getting a little bit more from us by by <laughs> taking our 25 cents at the school store to get pencils to try to be cool that's what it yeah. was about it was about roll tide is what you're saying yeah pretty much or <laughs> war eagle uh literally in my my schools growing up there was a time every year where there would be the alabama auburn game and they would sell fucking ribbons and it was like the red ribbon or like the, the orange ribbon. And it was like, choose your fucking side. They were pitting us against us. They were dividing us. And they were trying to get our fucking money for the shit we didn't even care about or understand. <laughs> if you were a fucking Roll Tide or a War Eagle, I didn't give a shit. Didn't give a shit. Still bought fucking ribbons. Because <laughs> it's what you did. It's what everyone fucking did. And so because I thought I had to do You are it. the definition of a captive audience. Like, literally, there are truant officers to make sure that you are in that audience. I got taken advantage of so bad as a youth, yeah. thinking that I had to care about sports. The, the, you got goofed them beating down, down our, our, our their institutionalisms on me. <laughs> I think the greatest thing that sports ever taught me and I mean this sincerely, was how to fake enthusiasm for things. How to watch something and be like, yes, this is fun, yes. <laughs> when, when you start and end your sentence with a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, this is fun. Yes. I think sports taught me the value of me being like, this is fucking boring, but it is culturally unacceptable for me to tell you that. <laughs> this is fucking uh, boring, but this is the only way I'm going to make any human connection today. 
So <laughs> let's just go with it. Yeah, I think that was the one value for sports for me. I didn't learn team values. I didn't learn any loyalty. Obviously. I didn't learn anything. Look at you jumping back and forth between Aaron and me. Yeah. You have no loyalty for anyone. You're yeah, all about I'm... the Peter G. Moran brand. Yeah. I'm uh, a loose podcaster uh, off make, uh, sowing my wild oats among the world. For this episode, I want to talk a little bit about Ernest, but maybe next week I want to talk about something else. Yeah, no, and I'll just, I'll sit here uh, lonely, sad, a single tear falling from my eye, as I know you're off discussing other movies with other people and their effects on you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really sorry. Um, yeah, yeah, I could tell. Uh, so, oh, is this, oh my God, I've never gotten to deploy this before. Do you mind? Sorry, I'm not sorry. Was it worth it? No, I feel worse. <laughs> I feel so bad. Why did I say that? Uh, we both know that's not the truth because you're dead inside. Yeah, let's go through uh, <laughs> this episode finally. Bill and Kusho singing that song. And it made me think that the whole show is basically like a hee-haw thing. Like, just like, it, it's almost like you're flicking through channels, but it's Ernest all the time. It's like Ernest is like the Mussolini of your tele- of your of your nation. I feel like they could have leaned into it more and that this could have been like a Southern driven, like Saturday morning kids TV show more so than it is. Um, but you know, it, it did its thing. We've had a few of these. There's this, obviously Pee Wee did great. There was only also like one season of the weird owl show, which was the big thing for me when I was a kid, I was so obsessed with like that brief time where the weird owl show was a thing. <laughs> This does remind me of, I was going to say, this reminds me of UHF in a way where it's just like, we just want a lot of weird skits in here and it doesn't matter if they like add up to much. Did you ever watch the Weird Al show? I didn't. So again, it's only like a season, but yeah, Weird Al had his own Saturday morning kids TV show in like the mid nineties. Only lasted for a season. I love the nineties. But it was... But it it was amazing because it is kind of like the weird absurdist kind of humor of this, but like the Weird Al brand of it uh, and very much that aesthetic of it. It was like if Weird Al had Pee Wee's Playhouse uh, and it's fantastic and I actually still really like it. I watched it maybe a couple of years ago over again and still kind of holds up for me. I wish that the musical segments like the Bill and Koo show, I wish that, that that sort of like, I wish once an episode there was like a dedicated musical segment that would take over three minutes or whatever. And I wish that like Auntie Nelda would have like, uh, At least five I'll, minutes. I kind of wish the show was more Kids in the Holly, where like they, you get three to five to even six minutes if it's a really crazy bit, instead of like we need to we need to catch up with the tongue. Yeah, like, well, like nothing on. else is, is nothing is longer than like a minute and a half, maybe, and I doubt anything gets that long. It's definitely most things are under a minute. I really like the Auntie Nelda sketch. Like it got it was kind of dark. Like, yeah, I, I, and that's what I like is some of the dark humor that pops up. But yeah, we get uh, that stupid haircut thing. We get a pointless matte finish bit. Because um, again, like literally, my note is I just wrote matte finish, and then I wrote nothing else because there was nothing else worth writing. I wrote Lonnie Don. There was nothing else worth writing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, there's a Sergeant Glory bit, uh, which is kind of the same. Uh, he tells the kids to never stick their heads in a pencil sharpener. Uh, there's a whole running bit about Ernest trying to get into his locker and not being able to open up the lock. Um, oh, there is actually one 
decent bit in here. It's not really even that funny, but it's like, oh, actual knowledge is being put out. And it's like Ernest in a class and he's like, what are the first three words of Moby Dick? <laughs> and Ernest is like, call me Ishmael. And it's like, and what are the last words of Moby Dick? And he's like, the end. <laughs> <laughs> there is a very brief My Father the Clown bit in this episode. Basically that the kid, Skeeter, gets called to the principal's office and dad, daddy clown, big daddy clown, comes in. Uh, to to find out what happened. Apparently, the kid tied everyone's shoelaces together when they had their heads down, and then everyone fell. Um, and I thought it was weird because one was very short for a My Father the Clown bit. Two, it seems like you're gonna call Big Daddy Clown in here for for reprimanding your child. You're not gonna call the mom. You're not gonna get her in here to figure out what happened. And I realized like they probably couldn't because she probably fucking killed herself by this point. Oh yeah, he's definitely a single father at this point and And you notice you don't you don't see the other kid either. The other kid is either dead, run away, or in a cage in the basement. Yeah. Do you think maybe he's in clown face? <sighs> Maybe, but that just would be to kind fit of in, just to fit in, like maybe, but but it, but it wouldn't be full clown makeup and suit like they're in. It would be really sad, like drawn on with lipstick kind of thing. Like, am I pretty now, Daddy? Like, for sure. Um, there there is also a very brief uh Vern sketch in here where Vern's like exercising as the camera, and Ernest, of course, fucks that up. Um, and then at the end of the day, Ernest gets his watch. Um, kind of a beast of a watch, kind of a cool design, uh, where it's just like this big, huge contraption on his wrist. There looks like there's a, like a tinfoil, like duck in it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that's it. It doesn't tell the time. That's the thing. And my last note was just like, at least it went by fast this time. <laughs> Which is, again, to jump back to the Stockholm Syndrome thing, uh, what you say when your captor is beating the shit out of you on a regular basis, you say, at least today he was easy. Yeah, today won't leave as many marks. Yeah. And also, I am so sorry. I just realized we just went 50 minutes off You know, Marcus, um... It just means we're gonna have to take time away from Ernest Goes to School, and I hope you're happy with that. Well, I mean, to be fair... <laughs> The movie's not that good. So, yeah. do you want to talk about Ernest goes to school? Yes, I do, Peter. Um, this is this is a very odd movie. We already talked about how Coke Sam's is the director, so the the style, the feel of the movie is a bit different. It's also a weird amalgamation uh, of like a Billy Madison, like oh, you never graduated high school, you gotta you gotta, you gotta go through the grades, you gotta pa pass, get your GED, get your high school diploma. And then there's a bit of a, like a Flowers for Algernon thing where, oh, they, they make dumb old Ernest smart and, you know, he, he becomes too smart and then that fades away. Ah, and then there's also a bit of like fucking Lawnmower Man in here. <laughs> <laughs> there's Flowers for Algernon, there's Billy Madison, and ra Radio? Yeah, Billy. Does Radio ever get to play on the team? Uh, yeah, no. Well, no, no. He's just their mascot, I think. So, so he just, he just likes his radio. Yeah, but like he, he cheers him on. He becomes like a, like a mascot, like a cheerleader kind of thing, I think. I don't know. I saw radio once in like 2004 and of course never watched it again. 
I, well, yeah, I mean, whatever floats your boat, man. I watch radio once every three months. Uh, but I'm usually crying too much at the end to see through my tears to see if he actually makes it to the big game. But anyways. Well, to be fair, um, you were crying before you started the movie each and every time. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, that's that's uh, just clinical depression and it's nothing to do with, <laughs> with radio. I just, I just happen to have Cinemax and it comes on about once every three months. <laughs> Ernest Goes to School is a story of Ernest it? going to school. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I feel like this is the main difference between John Cherry director and Coke Sam's director. Like Coke Sam's as a writer writes comedy bits, right? Some slapsticky stuff. John Cherry, you know, puts it onto film as a director, kind of makes more of a, a streamlined story, makes more of a movie where Coke Sam's writing these bits and then directing these bits is less concerned with story and making a film as it is like getting from bit to bit and also just being obviously influenced by and trying different comedic styles of things because let's go through it i mean there's everything from like zucker's kind of joke like zucker brothers jokes uh evil dead 2 style jokes which is you know three stooges style jokes marx brothers style jokes benny hill style jokes like they're all of these influences are very much in there and he just has different bits that are like certain comedy styles that just like jump from one to the other yes the fact that it is structured around classes is incredibly uh useful convenient for a director like <laughs> yes for a director and a writer like coke sams because uh they can just jump around weird scenarios and i think that's my biggest problem with the movie is that it seems mostly unconcerned with the billy madison-esque structure uh, and it gets away from the the what could be a really enlightening thing, which is like Ernest having to sit down and figure out his shit and pass some classes. Um, well, and this and is learn before in his way. I will I will put it out that way. So it can't really be held to that. No, I just mean like the fact that they, it's about the the movie is ostensibly about Ernest getting smart enough to put pass school. And the movie has one montage where he's learning and that And doing poorly at it, yet he somehow still passes. Yeah. But it's and like it, a, it's an afterthought because it's like all this stuff happens. he's not learning happens. on his own terms either. Like that, that whole montage sequence should be like it, Ernest fails after learning their way and Ernest succeeds after learning his weird way. Yeah, but we don't have that. We have a, a brief learning montage where he gets everything wrong, and then he takes this test, which is another comedic scene, and then the whole climax of the movie happens, and then there's like one final scene where they're like, hey, you passed the test, Ernest. <laughs> like this thing that happened 20 minutes ago. And, it, it, and there's really like no reason for him to have passed the test, right? Like, okay, so let's start off. Let's start from the top. Why does Ernest need to take this test? So we have a bad guy. We, we have a bad guy that's trying to shut down the school, um, the, the home to the muskrats, uh, Chickasaw Falls High School, which at first, like the way it was shot, I was just like, oh, at least he's like in a college. It's not like he's hanging out with elementary school kids or like high school kids. No, it's a high school. So and it also doesn't seem like it's in the same area that he's been before. So it seems like he's kind of and it's been a little while. He's wandered off to somewhere else where he kind of couldn't go back to where he came from. Uh, and of course, Ernest being the immortal godlike being he is, you know, he's been around forever. He's getting the human experience. He's going to camp. He's doing holidays. He's going to jail. He never thought to do school. He never thought to to learn to get his diploma. That's why 
the big uh, crux of the movie is that like this ratty bad guy is trying to close down the school and he's just like, oh, there's a new thing. Everyone that works for the school has to at least have a high school diploma. Uh oh, Ernest doesn't have a high school diploma because in his dimension that he comes from, they don't have high school. Like he's just been getting his street smarts out on the road doing his adventures. He doesn't have them book learning smarts. He doesn't have that piece of paper. Doesn't mean he can't do it. Just means he never went through it. Yeah, it, it, it's it's almost millennial in that way. Like he's going out, he's getting his experiences, man. Because because who, who the hell can afford to go to school? Am I right? I can't. I'm, I didn't even graduate, and I'm still in debt. Aren't we all? The fact that Ernest is this this cosmic figure doesn't seem to exist in a time and place, and we mostly empathize with him because uh, he's this perma child. The, the children from the at this point, this is the seventh movie. At this point, the children from the first movie are fully grown, have a mortgage, families of their own, probably own whatever businesses. Ernest is actually like working for um for all we know the the the, the evil school board commissioner or whatever was one of the formal children he was, that he was fucking crutchfield grown yeah. up and led astray <laughs> the idea of Ernest having to learn like the rest of us is like sort of grimly depressing for me in a sense because i, I always see Ernest movies as resetting so i feel like he's not going to learn any of these lessons and that pans out in the ending where obviously he saves the school he saves his, his education. Technically, I guess, Ernest canonically has a GED from no, these movies no, going forward. but I don't even think he does because even that is, like, so blurred in this movie. So, in Billy Madison, it makes sense that, like, okay, in order to do this, you have to go through each grade, like, kindergarten through 12, and get your high school diploma. Here, it's just like, okay, you don't have a high school diploma. So, in actuality, it would be, oh, you need to get your GED. You know what you need to do for that? You you study for the GED test, you take your GED test, and then you get it. But they do the Bill and Madison type thing where it's like, okay, we'll just put you back in high school, I guess as a senior, and you'll do, what, a week or two of classes, <laughs> and then you'll take your exit exams. But, like, it should be a GED test, but it's not because it's all these kids in high school taking it next to them. And from what I've seen in... in movies and things like that that blue book that they have that they're opening and doing the test on that's like their sat test sat is like your entrance for college or like to get scores for college it's not getting an actual diploma like we did have like exit exams in alabama public schools to where like you had to pass these tests in order to you know get your diploma but they weren't like in a blue book form like that like as far as i've seen in movies and tv those blue books are like you're taking the sat's so, like, what the fuck did he do? What the fuck did he take? And how the fuck did that get him a diploma? Because he doesn't have the credits he needs. He hasn't taken the base classes he needs to get a diploma. He literally he... just, like, did two weeks of school, took the SATs, and now he has a diploma. It's wild, especially because I think the movie hinges on a sports moment because they couldn't figure out how to do a climax without a sports moment. And this and, is the precursor to Slam Dunk Ernest. But they also have a climax with him taking a test, and then they throw that climax in the background like it doesn't matter. To do the sports and, moment. And then to do the sports moment. Well, because, okay, so that's really just a very smart and kind of clever 
uh, you know, satire of the American public school system and leading into the college system is that, yeah, we, we do this bit about like, oh, to get your grades, get your high school diploma and stuff like that. No, all that really matters is the sports. You play on a sports team, you get that scholarship, you go, you get in the pros, you get the money. That's what everything is based on. Schools don't care about your fucking grades and about your graduate. They care about getting that next big sports star to bring in the people to the games, to move them on to college, and then the colleges care about getting those players for the games and don't really give a shit about the education and will just let you slide if you're in, in the sports team. Uh, and then fucking Will Sasso has a career. Explain that. I actually really love Will Sasso, by the yeah, way. That was good. a joke. Will fucking Sasso is in this movie as a bully, which is a pretty good, you know, uh, role for him. Well, I mean, playing, it's, like, it's a good start, like uh, being kind of like the, the chunkier bully guy. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman had an early role like that. He was in a, a, a My Boyfriend's Back as like a the chunkier bully of the group. Yeah. And uh, Will Sasso still waiting for his Capote. Uh, it'll come in someday. But Will Sasso. Well, he, well, did, he did play Curly in like a Three Stooges movie. So <laughs> I think he got it. <laughs> I don't get it. It's like, okay, so speaking of that, John Cherry did a Laurel, Laurel and Hardy. Hardy one with Bronson Pinchot and uh, Gayard Sartain. Mm-hmm. Like, what the Which, fuck again, the point? Which, again, if we're going to do Existo, we might as do that as well. Yeah, that's by request <laughs> for only. For love of the is mummy. That, yeah, for love of the mummy. That's by request only. I'm going to go ahead and request that one as a fan. For my own sanity, you need to create a fake Twitter account and request these movies. Otherwise, I'm not doing them. <sighs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see how much I care. The the idea of the idea of Will Sasso being in this, and the idea of Sarah Chalk being in this, and which I, that I forgot. I remembered Will Sasso like being in this as like bully. I completely forgot that she was in this movie. Also because they misspell her name, they don't put the e at the end of Chalk. Yeah, it's it's uh it's it ain't right. She is definitely the most successful actor in this whole movie. Well, even though she has nothing to do and barely any lines, like she pops off screen more than like anyone else in this. She has so much charisma, even behind a uh, a football helmet mask. Like she has so much charisma. She's she's so good in her few scenes in this movie. She really is. And then we have this one red. She's gotta kid. be loaded, right? Because of Scrubs. Oh yeah, totally. And she's like had a good career past that as well. Because she even started before that, like before even this movie, she was on Roseanne, I believe. Uh-huh. I'm not sure about the time frame of that, but she was like the second Becky, I guess yes 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 so she's she's had quite so around that because she was even like in the reboot of roseanne they did which by the way i just recently watched the the couple episodes of the connors they put out uh and i kind of loved it because the first episode they were just like yeah roseanne died moving on (laughs) the first episode they did have very emotional thing it was very much about that like it's just a couple weeks after she died or whatever but they were just like she's dead and then we had an emotional moment and then the next episode it's like moving on sitcom stuff (laughs) moving right along (laughs) exactly uh but no i actually kind of enjoy it and i kind of enjoy it more so now than i did when it was roseanne with roseanne on it again so sarah chalk i always had a crush on her oh yeah absolutely and if i had seen this movie when i was younger that would have just kicked off the crush earlier because i got a crush on her from watching her in scrubs yeah same here i just like i saw this so much earlier before i knew her from anything else or probably even before i ever really knew her from Roseanne or anything like that because I'm not sure about the time frame of that but yeah just completely forgot that she was here uh and Will Sasso like I said is also here um his first scene 
like he's kind of immediately like him and his like football quarterback buddy are making fun of Ernest. But for the first scene, Will Sasso does nothing but just like laugh. Like he's a side character that laughs. And I was yes. really hoping because I didn't remember this movie that well. I was just like, I would be so happy if Will Sasso does nothing but just laugh throughout this movie. Like he <laughs> doesn't like, have a single line. He's just the just dude a standing giggling to the side. Dollar. Yeah, just giggling at the, the havoc that his quarterback friend is causing. I really wish, like, not for Will Sasso because that obviously helps the career if he has lines. But I would have loved it if he just, like, he just laughed. He had no lines in the movie. Have you seen his vines, by the way? They're so yeah. fucking good. He's so good. Jordan Peele, like Keegan-Michael Key, Andy Daly. Ike Baron Holtz. Yeah. um, The the show, the show, uh, Mad TV had so many incredible comedians that just slaved away for years on unfunny sketches. And like once every three episodes, somebody would do something accidentally funny. And they'd run it into the ground. (laughs) And then they'd run it into the ground, like all these hilarious people. And then now they're like working their way back through Hollywood, like doing all their own individual shit, like Jordan Peele with Get Out and Andy Daly. Well, with I mean, Review. and Key and Peele had Key and Peele and Andy and Daly had been doing so much stuff for so long. <laughs> yes. And Ike Barinholtz is amazing on Mindy's show. And he mm-hmm. has a new movie out that's like about like, he's, a comedy he's popping about up in all kind of uh, movies. Yeah, he was in that. He was in a, a Blockers, wasn't he? Yes, yes. Yeah. He's, um, he's he's my favorite part of, of Mindy Project. He he was in like the the um what the the neighbors movies as well, like the Seth Rogen Zac Efron movies, the the frat movies. Oh oh yes 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 yes. Yeah, uh, he was in, like he's in also he was in Suicide Squad. He's in all sorts of movies. Ike Barinholtz gets parts. <laughs> yes. So these guys all like went on to do amazing stuff and in this i think sarah chalk is the only one that really gets to do much she gets to be like cute for a minute when she's like uh, during the final football scene <laughs> gets the guy to give her the ball because she's yes make it making googly eyes at him so let's clarify a few things here during that final uh, climactic scene because i don't know if we're gonna have much time to go through every single moment in this movie oh uh it is complete uh fantasy and almost a disgrace because there is no way in any reality that any part of that game would actually be sanctioned or would be allowed to fly because not only do you have a middle-aged man as your quarterback doing things for a high school football team, uh, but also pretty much every single thing they do to come back and win the game uh, would have had flags thrown every step of the way because that's not how you fucking play football. So the game starts. The stakes of the game are that there's like a district manager or some shit for the school board who's watching the game he's trying to close it down and if the school wins then maybe the school can stay open yeah because they have something worth staying open for otherwise like it's an older school uh they don't have much going on they're trying to close it but like hey if they have the winning football team the district champs or whatever that's maybe worth keeping open also if they have a good band i guess it's maybe worth (laughs) and again let's say that this all does hinge the big climax is the football game when the entire movie um the football team and football in general is kind of seen as like the bullies the assholes that doesn't have anything to do ernest is trying also to get they his win smarts. every game they win every game but like ernest is trying to get his smarts he, he's trying to get his diploma he gets in good with the band kids and like ends up working with the band kids but still everything hinges on a fucking football game where okay 
And their big solution to where like, okay, so the coach has been corrupted. The coach is, is talked into throwing uh, the game because the, the ratty bad guy is just like, hey, if you throw this game, since I'm going to close the school down, like if you throw the game, I'll be able to close the school down and then I'll get you the job as the coach at this other school. So basically you get to have your same job at another school with no perks or benefits or anything like that. You just get to have the same job at another school. Um because if you lose this, I can shut your school down. Kind of shitty. But their whole big plan is like, hey, let's uh, knock out the actual football team with like uh, sleeping gas, and then the band kids will dress up in the uniforms and they'll play the game because that would work much better than just like telling the football team their coach is trying to throw the game and just letting them play as good as they've been playing all fucking season. <laughs> The the idea that they, they set up early on is that this football team is amazingly good and then the a coach leading them into to disaster is the one thing that could derail them. Yeah, like they're doing great because the coach is like, okay, we're going to have a different strategy now. Let's do these plays and the plays all go terribly and they start losing. Like, I get that. The coach could do that. Like, no, we're going to do these plays even though and like holding out the best players and putting in the, the third strings to like do it. And like, this is a strategy I have to throw a game. That kind of makes sense. But their plan of like, well, instead of just letting the team know what's going on, letting them get out there and win the fucking game, since they want to win the game more so than they want to let their coach, you know, throw them under the bus, let's knock them all out, put these scrawny band kids in the football uniforms, and like, we'll be able to win through willpower. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's let's get this right off the bat. In order to be on any football team, in any any sports team... You need to pass a series of physicals. You need to be registered to be on the team for the entire season. You can't you can't just throw in ringers. I, I wouldn't know any of this. Thank you, uh, sports god Peter Moran. <laughs> yeah, I know. So hear me out. You need to be able to verify that everyone on the team is of the same identified gender. Sarah Chalk's on the team. Yeah, well, not even her. There, there are several uh, women from the band that are on the team. Uh, let me ask you this, Peter. How how would um, putting a a 47-year-old uh, immortal instrumental being on your team uh, fare for winning the, the district championship? The fact that there is this permanent man-child that is for some reason forced to go through classes at the school to pass his GED at the school, which means that he finally gets to be a janitor at the school despite the fact that he's already been a janitor and well he's doing a terrible job yeah he's a terrible <laughs> just the janitor. usual earnest mistakes but no yeah to keep his job Ernest should just... be fired for something else right oh yeah like his complete incompetence and being terrible at his job not just like oh he happens to not have his high school diploma um they're like Ernest, we don't give a shit what level you graduated at you're bad even beyond having Ernest on the team because technically you could get away with he's a high school student now He's that he could join the football team because he's on in, in the high school. He's a student. Um, how about um, having someone out on the field uh, that doesn't have any padding or anything and is wearing an old like leatherhead helmet instead of he's like the of actual uniform. football helmet? Yeah, or, or just completely out of uniform, wearing a you know a jean vest and and, and blue jeans with a hat uh, with no padding or helmet or protection whatsoever. How would that go in a sports game? Ernest does a lot of fancy footwork in this. They do. Um, he he completely he goes slam dunk Ernest on the shit. He does. He does a fancy performance with the, before the game even starts with the the band and then there's a play that involves 
the football team stepping on the toes of the opposite team and, and making snapping them, like, their chin toes. straps. <laughs> yeah, so that they can they can go through the play where they dance with them. <laughs> yeah, so Ernest can just walk to the end zone. Um, Ernest also at one point uh, rides a drum into the end zone. Yeah. Was, theoretically, Elton John at this game. And he said... Entertain me. <laughs> and he said, I wish, I wish to watch this show. I wish to watch this, this, this performance that you wish to put on for me, American sportsmen. Uh, everyone nodded yes, Elton John. He said, look at this, this, this creature on the field. He's my blue jean baby. He's my, <laughs> he's my LA lady. He's my seamstress for the band. Um, pretty eyes. Ballerina, you must have seen her. Was this all secretly about Ernest? I mean, I'd like to think so. Hold me closer, tiny dancer. I, I mean, yeah. That's... Hold me closer, tiny dancer. That sounds like it's about Ernest. Thank you. Um, just wanted to get all that out there, just for the sake of the show. Um, oh, really? Is that going to help us? Is that going to help us get in get in those fan votes for us to keep doing episodes? Uh, yeah, it's it's going to help. Did we talk at all about the first half of this movie and about how it all relies on a brain accelerator that is ex- accelerating oh, brains? We're, I guess we're we're getting to that, and oh. because that also affects the, the 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 veracity of the football game. Well, yeah, I was going to say uh, they're. The He's whole juicing. thing is that they're 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 juicing uh their brain accelerating to make him smarter, but that somehow also has a side effect of uh giving him superhuman abilities physically. Um so e- even beyond that. <laughs> <laughs> this game should be thrown out. Actually, the whatever the district manager should actually throw burn the school to the ground with flamethrowers and napalm. Because of how much cheating is Ernest kind of does that. There's a scene uh, where Ernest is out on the field doing his, he's leading the band and stuff like that. Um, and he's supposed to be smart. Uh, but they, they, the jocks destroyed the, this make Ernest smart machine. So he just has to be himself. So everything immediately goes to shit. Um, everything fucks up. Uh, fireworks shoot everywhere. Things catch on fire and blow up. He basically goes like Ernest goes to camp on this school and mm. kills everyone it's quite vicious i think um it's it's no good and the whole time all these people are dying and things are exploding he just has his head stuck in a tuba so while that's all going on there all there's chaos is going on i couldn't help but think like you know yes he's not playing a john philip Sousa song but when that happens he goes in uh, to a pretty good captain beefheart tune um this is the part where marcus claps for dropping a captain beefheart reference Thank you. Also, a, a whole lot of a whole lot of play, playing the theme song for Monty Python's Flying Circus in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> there is. I'm just saying, I can never not hear that song and not think about Monty Python. <laughs> yes, because um, presumably public domain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, also with Coke Sam's and all the other like comedy references and styles he throws in here, I'm sure he just put it in there and be like, no, let's fucking put Monty Python in there. <laughs> It'll work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but again, there's also Three Stooges, Benny Hill, Marx Brothers, Zucker Brothers. <laughs> like, everything yeah. is in here in some form or yeah. another. It's all smashed together because that's actually kind of the charm of Ernest is that they throw everything at the wall. The jokes are rather unpredictable. Like the joke where Ernest gets... <laughs> Ernest uh, wrestles. Okay, I get it. It's totally classic comedy bit. I, I, well, for Ernest, it makes sense. Oh, he gets thrown into the ring. He has to, but again, that's more like in an Ernest sports movie. 
And Ernest goes to school where he is in a high school gym class and they're doing wrestling. They have a WWF style like boxing ring wrestling. With WWF style lighting. Yeah, and, and a a crazy one of two black people in the movie or like one of three black people in the movie is like a crazy WWF style wrestler that comes in that's like let out of a cage uh, to fight him. But yeah, no, it's like, no, dude, it's high school wrestling. Like there's mats and it's Greco-Roman style and like you're just trying to pin each other. It's not like you're not doing jumps off the fucking top turnbuckle in high school wrestling. And that's like, and that's like some of the charm of the movie is how ridiculous it goes. Where you're like, at, at different points, you're like, you went a little above and beyond. But also, this movie feels like it was written by Ernest. That's that's the trick of these movies, right? They all feel like they were written by Ernest. Like, of course, Ernest would think that high school wrestling is like that. That actually makes a lot of sense. Like, I I like looking through that lens of like, oh, Ernest basically wrote his own movies to like star in so of course he's the hero in every movie and everything is so off the wall and crazy and ridiculous is because it's how this weird interdimensional man child views the world and so it's not even him just trying to experience all of these things it's like an interdimensional alien immortal man child like writing Hollywood movie scripts and just being like, Hmm, what are these movies? What are tropes? Uh, camp movie, uh, prison movie, uh, scary movie, uh, school movie, uh, sports movie. <laughs> it, it's running through the tropes, but also like it's, it's following a bit of a, like a, uh, stream of consciousness for comedy like where they're like i need to uh throw a wrestling scene in here i need to throw a a basketball scene in here i need to throw a football scene in here i need to have Ernest fixing some pipes and it going wrong scene like a fucking three stooges thing like you push the pipes into the wall and they come out the other side and shit like that okay so here let me just throw this out here um you mentioned earlier of course we have coke sam's writing and directing usually just writes uh john cherry usually takes over the interviews so you don't see a lot of coke sam's over the years um and we're saying coke sam's have written uh much of these movies with john cherry and such uh and they maybe are kind of written by Ernest. They're Ernest trying to express these Hollywood movie tropes, but Ernest being this weird interdimensional being that's kind of experiencing humanity through these tropes. Do you think Coke Sam's was like Jim Varney and John Cherry's like little personal E.T.? That they just like, is every is Ernest and everything around him actually just based on Coke Sam's? And so Coke Sam's finally got a chance to like take the helm and direct and we got Ernest goes to school which is so weirdly erratic and different than all the other ones and tosses in all these comedy styles in a way that like an alien that doesn't know how movies actually work kind of throw them in mad lib style like a Jackson Pollock painting but just every joke he's ever heard every joke he's ever heard every because it's kind of like a like in not quite human uh which i'm sure you've seen as everyone has uh how the alan thick creates a a uh a, a robot a teenage son 
uh, at Cyborg, more or less, uh, played by Jay mm-hmm. Underwood. And he's learning... Couldn't agree more. Yeah, I believe it's actually Not Quite Human 2, um, where he's learning emotions by watching Marx Brothers. And he's seeing Harpo, like, be very happy, and he practices smiling. And then he see Har- Harpo crying, and he practices being sad. I think that's kind of what Coke Sam's is, is doing, and I think coke sams is earnest in a lot of ways that's what they've based it off of but he's the literal et he's a little interdimensional alien man-child creature uh that is immortal and is gaining the human experience taking this conspiracy theory that we have about Ernest to the next level was the best way to move forward because honestly we know that Ernest at some level is a production we know that it, it must have been produced by people. What was their motive? For Coke Sam's, the motive was expression of his alienating experience at being, you know, yes, he might be a lizard person. Yes, he might be an alien. Speaking it's hard of, to say. there's a lizard person in this movie. It's subtle. It's subtle undertones. It's subtly letting you know because there is a scene in this movie where Ernest is in class. It's when he's taking his SATs for whatever fucking reason. And there's a teacher that's like just a German teacher, I guess. Or like she's just, you know, a teacher. And then all of a sudden, you know, Ernest is messing around with a fly and then a customer. And all of a sudden she's a Nazi. And then Ernest is still fucking around with this test. And then she comes over and she ends up like lizard tongue eating a fly that's been bothering Ernest because she's a fucking lizard person. Yeah, dude. This is this is basically Coke Sam's being like, it's all real. The conspiracies are all real. Wait, hold on. That means he's not a lizard person. It means that he is is terrified of lizard people. He must be maybe like an alien gray or some sort of interdimensional yeah, version of us. Exactly. No, he's interdimensional. He's seen capacities. He's seen the yes. lizard people take over civilization after civilization in all sorts of different dimensions. And he came here to warn us uh, as this immortal interdimensional alien being. Uh, but he's trying to figure out how to let us know how to tell us. And he doesn't quite understand our culture. So he's tried to he's watched our movies he's watched our actions so he's just like slowly been building up to just like oh what do these people understand they understand uh summer camps and childhood they understand uh holidays christmas they understand that they understand uh prison they they understand school they understand sports and he's dropping these subtle hints of like the fucking lizard people are coming to get you they're right behind me i came to warn you i don't know how to express authority exactly and never trust authority is also something we learn in every single Ernest movie. That is true. That is true. Um, as soon as the the principal gets any pressure, he folds like a house of cards to be like, guess I gotta fire you, Ernest. Which, by the way, the fact that Ernest is so attached to this job speaks a lot of it speaks many volumes about Ernest as a character and and also Coke Sam's the interdimensional there are, being. There are because there are so many like beautifully sad scenes in this movie of like and and we've seen it a little bit before like usually whatever medial bullshit job Ernest has he clings on to it's all he has in the world but there are so many direct scenes of like Ernest Groffling just like if you take this away I have nothing this is all I have like it it fucking pulls at my heartstrings there are a couple scenes I was just like that's kind of tearing me up there are scenes where Ernest is just like i oh no i'm me and like after he fucks things up he goes to uh the lady his love interest in this 
Which, by the way, I do love that when Ernest, like, falls in love with this person, it's just, like, the new music teacher comes in, and it's just, like, a lady. Like, she's not even filmed in a way that where, like, it seems like, oh, Ernest is seeing this beautiful creature or anything. It's just a fucking lady. It's just, like, a, a middle-aged music teacher just comes in the room, and Ernest is immediately in love with no but bells and whistles or anything like that. she's age-appropriate, at least. Yeah, absolutely, she's age-appropriate. Uh, which also, the uh, the female doctor that go the female scientist that goes along with Bobby played the love interest and Ernest goes to Africa. Oh, I, I think that since this was like any other job, sometimes their, their bias is showed. And when Ernest is really smart, yes, he can pull off all these like amazing, uh, these amazing, you know, uh, feats of intellectual strength. And he basically takes over the class. Um, and he, but Ernest becomes an asshole when he gets smart, like a straight up asshole. And the movie recognizes that. And it's curious to me that whenever Ernest is empowered, he is also an asshole. Well, and, and that's kind of how it is in general. It's just boost up because he actually has power behind it to to kind of back it up but that's how Ernest is like whenever he gets the tiniest bit if you give him the tiniest bit of affection or notice he immediately becomes cocky in that sort of way so like Ernest needs to be the underdog otherwise he becomes a villain exactly and that's kind of how it is like as soon as you know uh, someone thinks he's cool or like becomes his friend he's just like well yeah of course because I'm Ernest P. Whirl and I've done all this and I've done all this and blah blah and then he immediately gets cocky so it kind of makes sense that he becomes the villain almost immediately. It's just like, well, yeah, of course, I've always been this fucking smart. Just, you know, give me the fucking juice. I, I need to keep being this smart because that's just my thing. I'm I'm earnest. I was meant to be this smart. You just help me get along my path. Um, but again, oh, what I was talking about earlier is that the sad scenes actually kind of like bring that back. Cause you know, obviously that's kind of a trope where, you know, like you get a new friend group or like you get a new status or something like that. And you become an asshole is kind of a thing. They just use that with like, you know, if, if Charlie and flowers for Algernon became an asshole, <laughs> <laughs> just just like what was because he became smart or whatever but he didn't really become too much of an asshole it's just he kind of turned people off because they were used to charlie and then there was you know new charlie which was different and they they couldn't really handle how much smarter he was than them as opposed to him just being an out and out asshole about how much smarter he was than him <laughs> Yeah, like he couldn't just be like super earnest because also there would be no dramatic conflict. Um, he needed to be earnest who wanted to destroy uh, everyone around him. Like immediately started talking down and condescending to everyone around him immediately started taking over teaching classes and stuff like that which is why when the smartness gets taken away from him and he ends up you know fucking up the pep rally or whatever and fucking up the game and destroying everything there's that scene afterwards where he like slowly walks into the music teacher's room and is like all shy and stuff and he's just like says he's sorry about ruining everything and stuff and the last thing he says is like i'm sorry for being me and then sadly walks away <laughs> yeah it hurts yeah. it hurts <laughs> well i mean if anyone can be consumed with power and get drunk on power it's a, a mortal interdimensional alien being who's mostly powerless in our realm 
because he he has to keep like traveling the road and people keep catching on to his scheme and i assume at the end of every one of these movies he ends up killing everyone that was involved just oh yeah there's a lot of faceless dead bodies and ditches all over you know the the american southeast yeah Um, i imagine he eats the teeth and the fingernails and the the fingerprints (laughs) well he can't leave that much of a trace i mean he's not a complete idiot uh, yeah, but yeah, all of this is happening, and again, his whole understanding of, of humanity and human culture just comes from like tropes and generalities <laughs> and stereotypes. So, like, you know, he's doing the best he can. But he could easily be drunk on power. He could easily be swayed to the dark side. And, and the fact that he is such a humble figure makes him charming. But it is it, it is an interesting lesson to kids. I know that's why they're putting it in the movie. Is like, uh, especially in the last movie, Slam Dunk Ernest, is like, hey, someday you might have a moment where you feel really powerful. You could be class president, or you could get the best grade in the test, or you could be top of your class, or later, you know, you can make a lot more money than your classmates, or or you could become a doctor or a lawyer or some sort of, you know, like, or a politician or some sort of, like, respected position. And, and it's trying to teach kids, like, that doesn't ultimately mean anything if you're an asshole. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yes, your life will be better. Um, it'll be much easier for you to get along. Uh, you can, of course, drop all the people that think you're an asshole and just kind of have an old, whole new group of other people that are assholes. And honestly, your life's probably going to be pretty great. Um, but, you know, it's saying don't forget your friends. Um, you know, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget you used to be just as shitty as all these other fucking run-of-the-mill schmucks around here and you you know um yeah it's easy to become an asshole when things go good for you and they just keep going to for you and you just get this whole new group of asshole friends but like hey are you really going to be happy you know being financially secure being in a good place in life uh probably getting everything you want or do you just want to you know hang out with your buds and um you know struggle forever and uh never find your place in the world <laughs> you know Easy choice. Easy choice. Stick with your buds. That's an easy choice. That's, yeah, that's, that's wow. Do you mind if I go cry for about 15 minutes and then we can resume? Yeah, as long as it's on mic. (laughs) I need that tear. Do you think that Ernest is afraid of being fired because he'll have to kill everyone in that school when he moves on to the next job? my God. Okay. Yes. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to mention. He's like, it "Don't do this! Don't do this! Don't do this!" Or, or go into this. But okay, so there is that scene. There's a scene where Ernest is like groveling at the principal's feet, uh, where he's going to be fired, and he's begging for like one more chance. And he leaves that office, and then he's walking down the hallway. And I love the direction in this because the everything around him gets dark, and there's just like this kind of bright light shining just on his eyes. And he starts hearing like immediately like voiceovers of shit that was just said in that office of stuff that wasn't even said. Like you hear like the music teacher and other people saying things that we didn't actually hear said in the movie. Like he's imagining it. And it's just like he has these voices popping up in his head. And it seems like he's about like he's this close to snapping and just shooting up the fucking school. Yeah. Yeah, which in this case, like, I don't even know what his weapons are. Like, he could, he could just psychically make everyone's brain explode. He could he set that have fucking like, va- super vacuum loose on the school and it just sucks people's fucking skin off of their bones. Yeah, he might have these, like, robotic killers that he just sends out. And he just sits and cries while the work is being done. The the, the, the bloody and the, the tooth-rending work. 
Yeah, sounds about right. So next week we're going to be doing... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, okay, so... So yes, yes, we need, to, we need to talk about the fact that... We need to talk about the fact that Ernest is... Uh, when he's Yes, he's an asshole, but, like, Ernest has, like, does a lot of, like, shit when he's... He not only does he take over the class, he also, like, tries to seduce one of his teachers, which is fine because she's age-appropriate. Yeah, exactly. Um, he, he he might be her student, but he is, you know, a middle-aged uh, immortal being. Um, yeah, it's not appropriate he, in terms he, of power dynamics, but uh, Ernest will always be more powerful than all these people because he's a interdimensional being. So really... Yeah, they just finally kind of let loose his, his brain capabilities that were already there from his own dimension and from his own species that just were kind of uh, cut down. They, they were packed in by him having to take on this human form and this human body and this human space. But they finally created a machine that allowed his full intellect to come back through. Uh, and turns out he was kind of an asshole the whole time. Um, but yes, we have these two scientists, uh, the love interest from Ernest Goes to Africa and Bobby of Chuck and Bobby fame, uh, who are two German scientists um, that create a smart machine. They basically do. They they create like a they they fucking lawnmower man him, um, and they just like pump up his brains. And I don't know. I do kind of like the dynamic between these two. I of course miss Chuck and Bobby. I think if it was Chuck and Bobby doing this, it could be fun and a little wacky. But I do really like her. Um, and Bobby even talks a little bit through this. But their whole thing is like they're kind of vaguely German. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, they they pump him full of smarts, and when he does, he goes all earnest, like. Um, I could have sworn I heard him say Babadook a couple of times when he was going through his smart process. He probably needs to conjure the power of other demons while he's in the process, and Babadook is like a fucking cool dude. Like he, he's willing to lend some some power over to Ernest. Obviously, obviously, just loan a little bit of that cosmic, you know, energy that like underlying black syrupy power that just seeps through our veins and you feel it whenever you're 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 kind of in a dark place and it's not actually darkness filling you up it's it's power it's it's deep deep power but you just don't have you just don't have anything to put it into well i mean it's power but it's also just the darkness within your own soul that is just growing and filling you up from the inside because you're not just a receptacle for it you're also a fount of that, that that black power that black energy you're a beacon of dark energy but the babadook is a cool guy so like you know Ernest coming over to borrow a cup of sugar all i'm saying is they both wear hats that's a good point they probably met at the haberdasher at the interdimensional haberdasher yes of course yeah yeah obviously and and, and the babadook's a good guy he's just like uh, yeah sure dude you can borrow like like nine cups of the of the dark oil like i need to i need to bring like a couple gallons to the black lodge this weekend but for sure like you can you can borrow a cup or two i just realized we, we have really talked about this movie in the most odd of ways oh i closed my notebook wait I, I'm, I'm about to toss mine away because i realized like during the final football game i got to the bottom of a page and just didn't feel like starting a new page so i just stopped taking notes at some point but then i wrote on the side of my paper like going up and down in very large letters just what the fuck is this <laughs> and with that i throw my notebook away there's a movie that constantly challenges you to ask the question what the fuck am i watching ernest doesn't get to kiss the girl at the end um which is which frankly he a actually relief. hasn't ever i think the closest he's come is that he's gotten like a kiss on a kiss on the cheek 
at the end of a movie. I think that was at yeah. the end of uh, Goes to Africa. He got like a kiss on the cheek, I think. Or maybe Army. I don't know. One of those. But like, I think that's the most he got. I don't think we've actually ever seen him like kiss mouth to mouth with anyone, which, you know, for good reason. Yeah. She's frankly doing it for their own good. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, once you kiss a, a, a immortal interdimensional alien being, you never go back. Yeah, because, well, it'll to suck your life force out. and Yeah, exactly. You immediately lose your mind. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a lot like seeing the dark ones. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, it'll it'll wreck you. You don't want to know what's under that hat. We've seen it. It's not right. So what powers does Ernest display? He gets trampled by the football team and goes flat and then survives. I, that's a very, like, Zucker Brothers, like, airplane-esque kind of gag. Uh, that was yeah. one of the, the humor things in that. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, kind of superhuman abilities. There's also, we talked briefly about, like, the whole pipe through the wall kind of thing and, like, that bursting. That scene ends with like him on a toilet and I guess all the piping is messed up and water shoots up like a fucking geyser. But all we see is the water shooting up like his hat sitting up there. So that makes it seem like it's like a ridiculous enema that like shot up through his ass and is coming out of his mouth and holding his hat up in the air kind of geyser like he got cleaned out. It might not technically be the uh, best way to perform an enema. But it was an effective way because yeah. well, I mean, when you're all dumped up with like fingernails and and bones and teeth and stuff like that, all the stuff he has to eat, you know, to not let his victims be identified. Yeah, you're, yeah. you're gunked up. Yeah, it's going to take a lot to clear all that out. And frankly, it's it's not about it's not about you know, are you eating clean? Uh, are you eating garbage? It, it it it's just. Everyone needs one of those enemas every so often. It's just that Ernest needs a particular kind of enema because of his uh, position in, in in the universe or our universe, at least. Yeah. And whatever the fuck his insides are like, because who even knows? Like, that's an alien autopsy I'd like to see. Yeah. Um, who wouldn't? So let's see what else with Ernest. Uh, Does yeah, he fuck? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, if he did... He can't in this kind of movie. Like, when Ernest is around so many uh, nubile young teenagers, you can't have Ernest fuck. Even if he's trying to fuck, you know, the the age-appropriate music teacher or whatever, still, he's still hanging around too, too many of the, those young teens uh, for that to be yeah. okay for him to fuck. Those PYTs. Like those pretty young teens. Yeah. Um... There's actually a pretty funny joke when he's like just about to steal the deal with the music teacher and he opens up a music box he made for her and <laughs> makes this like horrific, awful, otherworldly music. I thought I thought her head was going to explode like fucking scanners. Like, because she like it pushes her off into a chair like by herself and she's like screaming. And I thought her head was going to fucking explode. <laughs> oh, that'd be a great way. The movie ends right after that. Like the movie should just end with that and then no music over the credits. Well, he gets one last uh, know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> head explode. Know what I mean? He, and he's then trying to, to take this crickets. thing apart, and it's just making this shrieking sound. So he finally like eats the pieces till it stops, and then spits them out. And he's like, you know, the the right tool for the right job. Know what I mean? And then he just goes back to eating these metal pieces. He just said, like that. That's why he needs an enema, man. He just he's eating garbage. He's just like eating metal and shit like that. He's like a shark. Yeah, he'll, he'll eat a license plate. He doesn't give a shit. 
probably yes he's trying to figure out what humans normally eat and he's going item by item and they don't eat music boxes which he discovers it's like you guys uh, eat meat right so this thing's shrieking in a terrible way like it's dying that means i'm supposed to put it in my mouth and eat it right Mm -hmm. just to finish it off at that point yeah you're being humane Mm -hmm. this movie is cruel in a lot of or at least the people in this movie in this town are cruel because everyone is so quick to laugh out loud and prank and bully a a mentally challenged man that's like super nice and friendly to everyone and just wants a job as a janitor totally agree it's one of those things where i feel bad for him and then he gets empowered and i don't feel bad for him and then it makes me feel silly for feeling bad for him because he does have narcissistic personality disorder for sure as soon as he gets even a, a slight puffing of his ego he turns into a monster he does and he does that at a lower extent before he has the the knowledge to really make it happen because usually he gets a slight puff on his ego and he starts building that up he starts talking up his ego but then he immediately gets cut down by saying something stupid or by getting hit in the face with something or by having his world crumble in around him you know the usual earnest stuff but yeah when he has that intelligence there's nothing to keep him in check so it's weird like you feel bad for Ernest in this plight being bullied being looked down upon being condescended on uh, just being a real sad sack but you know you see him get more and he can't handle it so you realize Ernest has to be at that level he has to be the downtrodden he has to be the underdog he has to be shit on and condescended on and and bullied towards and stuff like that um so you feel bad for him but at the same time you kind of can't because that is his plight in life and that's where he is meant to be and you know what he's got the tough skin for it he can take it he's been doing this for six seven movies now like this is what he is meant to do and he's gonna keep on doing it and just you know like why you gotta why you gotta feel bad for for you know a cockroach that gets stepped on when the cockroach is meant to get stepped on they're just they're just cockroaches you don't you you don't you know, more than the cockroach. We're the cockroaches, Marcus. No one's going to mourn and us. And Ernest is the fucking boot. <laughs> Just waiting to stomp us. Uh, he's a hero to children, for sure. Um, people <laughs> but, telling but Ernest to so grow up. Children. He's, a, he's a hero to young adults. He's a hero to teens. But not even really. He's not really a hero to them though he's a friend at best he's an equal like while he can be a hero to children and like goes to camp where he's like he's their leader they look up to him here he's like level playing field he's like their friend but he is he does lead them to victory he leads the band to victory kind of but no because when he tries to lead and be a leader is when he's being an asshole and they don't want to be his friend anymore but when he comes back down to just being regular earnest and they're just friends like yeah he's kind of leading but everybody's chipping in and everyone's coming up with ideas together so they're on the same level he's not their leader he's not kid hero he's kid friend kid friend yeah i guess he's more on an equal playing field because that makes sense because he's because <laughs> they're like 15 <laughs> yes because they have the same mental acuity of him as him if not better because they also tell him to grow up at different points yeah they teach him they have to tutor him so yeah they're a little bit ahead of him at the age of 15 or 16 so there is a there is a thing does Ernest cause the central problem of the movie there's that question yes and no yes by not having uh, gotten his GD- GED earlier, but no, because like he didn't need it. They were just using that they as a gonna, technicality. Yeah, they were going to close down the school anyway. He just happens to save the school 
by sticking around, by not immediately being fired, by not having a GED or high school diploma to work at a school. They're basically just using Ernest's failures as a as an excuse, and that's like... Well, if nothing else, I think they're using it as a representation because they're trying to make the school look bad to close it down. So they're just like, well, everyone that works in a high school has to at least have a high school diploma or GED. It's like, well, yeah, everyone here is accredited. We have teachers and everything. It's like, yeah, but you got a, a man named Ernest P. Whirl that never graduated high school and just like almost like they're trying to make them look bad and they're like okay well we'll give Ernest a chance and try to let him graduate and almost like they're mocking him it's like like letting a fucking janitor go to school with these kids to let him get his thing why doesn't he just take a GED test like a normal fucking person look at this fucking school we better close this shit down they're having a mentally challenged man in class with all these teenagers who knows what kind of stuff he does in his fucking utility closet. It's off hours, yeah. yeah. There's a reason that we mostly ask him to come in uh, afternoons and nights. You know, I'm really, uh, watching it again, I'm getting a real kind of the same vibe, and maybe maybe he took a little cue from this, maybe he, he used this as inspiration when he did it, um, but Jack Earl Haley playing Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, I'm getting a lot of similarities there, and just personality and overall uh, the vibe over... <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the idea of connecting uh, this interdimensional being with a uh, interdimensional demon, even with uh, Freddy Krueger, is just really. But not like you know, cool Robert Englund Freddy Krueger, but like the seriously, without a shadow of a doubt, nothing left to the imagination, child rapist and killer Freddy Krueger, played by, um, uh, oh, uh, not in real life. I'm sure he's a nice guy, uh, but looks like a creep in every sense of the word. He's supposed to be a very nice man, but he is typecast as all the worst people in the world. Uh, because of the, the way his face cast- looks. Yes. Not fair. No, there's Ernest a buddy is a little movie. bit of a Freddy that hasn't gone bad yet. Like, no one has set him on fire yet. See, there's a buddy movie I'd like to see, though. It's like Ernest and, like, Jackie O'Haley as Freddy Krueger, like, hanging out. And, like, maybe Jackie O'Haley's, like, trying to get him to come to the dark side, but Ernest won't quite do it. And maybe Ernest is trying to get Jackie O'Haley to, to come to the light side, but he can't quite do it. Sort of like a mismatched pair going on, like, a road trip. And, like, yeah, a lot of people end up dead, a lot of kids, a lot of adults. There's a lot of towns they can't go back to. They get through all sorts of wacky adventures. Um, but at the end of the day... The blood of the innocent is shed, and that's really all that matters. Yeah, as as, as long as the, the, the mill still turns, the mill of human suffering still turns. I that's mean, all either of them it, really want, no matter how they go about it, no matter, no matter what their ideology is, they, the end game is the same. They want the same things. One takes the high road, one takes the low road, but what are you going to do? You still, yeah. want, still wind up at the same middle ground, you know what I'm saying? Some towns are small, some towns are big, but like, you know, once you reach the amount of pints of blood that you need to reach, like... <laughs> once you reach the, the amount of pints of blood to where you kind of can't hang out there anymore, because people are starting to ask questions you still got to move on to the next town you just move on right along you know the problem with freddy krueger in this scenario is he's a bit of a homebody just like uh michael myers they they like to hang out near their old haunts well i mean that's the thing is with krueger like he he did it but it got to the point where like he should have left town the blood was getting a little bit too high the the rapes were getting a bit too he was reaching that maximum uh, child rape level um, yeah, but he just stuck is, around yeah. he didn't skip town so he, he got killed there so he's just kind of stuck there but now he's a supernatural being so like no the fuck are you gonna do can't even catch me in real life I'm in your dreams and at this point I mean that's who Ernest is to us um, so next week we're gonna be talking about Ernest Rides again <laughs> 
Yeah, that should be fun. The last core Ernest movie. Yeah, the last core Ernest movie. Uh, also, director John Cherry's favorite of the Ernest movies. So I think so we're going to kind of end it uh, feature film wise on a high note. Yeah, that'll be fun. So, Marcus, this has been fun. I will agree with that. Although I'm feeling kind of weird right now. I'm not sure what's going to happen when we get off of uh, this recording. <laughs> I might go yeah. to a dark place. <laughs> Well, I mean, I mean, you should at least talk to Ernest and he can maybe like act as a sort of a liaison with the dark side. I was about to say like, yeah, that'll help. Yeah. <laughs> that'll keep me from going over the edge. He could at least be, you know, like give you a soft entrance. You know what I mean? There you go. Uh, but yeah, thank you, Peter. This is fun. And yeah, thank we'll, you, Marcus. We'll be back. And uh, who knows? It looks like we may have one to two extra episodes that we're tacking <laughs> onto this because we never wanted to end. We just never wanted to end, do we? Uh, and with that, I say to you, know what I mean. Know what I mean. <laughs>